You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. The game of the week last week to those of us who care about such things, St. Mary's Gonzaga. And unfortunately my Zags did not get the job done, but I mean you have to you have to tip your hat really to the game that Jock Landale had for St. Mary's. Twenty six and twelve. I, I said he had to have twenty and ten just because he is that team and if he gets going, it means they're playing well all around, and, and he came through with 26 and 12. And really, the Zags had no answer down low for him defensively. The biggest issue with this team is interior defense, and I think we all knew that coming in, or at least you and I did, because we watched the West Coast Conference because it's quality basketball, despite sure, the fact that others, yes, others may may claim it's not, but we we understand how the game works and that it is quality basketball. So. The biggest issue is obviously their interior defense. You know, you lose a mammoth of a man in Shemek Karnowski, which is tough to replace specifically on the defensive end because he's just a guy that's immovable in the paint. So teams aren't really scoring inside the arc, or at least their big men aren't able to post up and get easy buckets, which Landale was able to do. But this is a team driven on guard play, and the guards just couldn't get it done when, when it came to it. Yeah, um, the the biggest difference between last year and this year is, I mean, the overall feel of the game is going to be different when Landale's out on the court. He's St. Mary's best player, was last year as well. And the big thing last year is Gonzaga would just feed Karnowski right out of the gate, so it was impossible for Landale to defend without fouling. So inevitably, we'd see long stretches of Fitzner off the bench because Landale would be in foul trouble trying to defend Karnowski, and then oftentimes Zach Collins, lottery pick coming off the bench. Gonzaga has good bigs this year. Hashimura had 23 off the bench. Williams and Tilly scored in double figures as well. But nobody that's as physically dominating and someone that it is just so hard to defend legally as as Karnowski. And Landale not having to worry about that as much and being able to stay on the floor for you know, 37 minutes of a 40-minute game and, you know, be able to get pretty much whatever he wants offensively. Because, again, he, he only took 15 shots. He had his 26 points. He was just that efficient. And I mean, he, he commanded a lot of attention, was able to find guys in the perimeter. It helped that they also shot 8 of 13 on threes. Um, yep. Really loosened up Gonzaga defensively. So, I mean, St. Mary's is, is a good basketball team, which we knew going in. I don't know why they weren't ranked. Now they're 16th in the AP poll, however much you you buy into those things. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's at least two quality teams in the West Coast Conference, for sure. Definitely. And Emmett Nahr is like an unsung hero because he is the distributor for the St. Mary's team. I believe he's second in the country in assists either assist per game or assist to turnover ratio. Either way, it's it's a classic team, St. Mary's team where they really take care of the ball and then just kind of spread the floor, go through their big man, and then when he finds opportunities, he'll hit them outside for the jump shots, which we saw were falling, and that's that makes them a tough team to beat because they are one of the most efficient. I believe they're top ten in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Yeah, and uh, Joe Rahan was was always that guy, um, just kind of the the ball dominant distributor. 
you have a guy like uh, Calvin Hermanson who has such a funky looking shot, but great hair. In invari- invariably, always one of the the best shooters, not only in the West Coast Conference but in all of college basketball. Which I always have to do a double take when I'm reading the percentages they put on the screen pregame, and then just like watch him shooting around in warmups because it, again, it's it's such a ridiculous motion. But I mean, there's there's not there's not the uh, the sort of second unit that you might be seeing from. You know, a lot of the, the bigger schools, although Cullen Neal is a very intriguing piece, uh, somebody who's been at quite a few schools, but you're not going to get the, the sort of depth that you'll see from from Power power 6 schools. But St. Mary's, there you go. <laughs> Once per show, i got to throw it out there. Yep. Uh, but but St. Mary's starting five can compete with just about anybody in the country, and that's the sort of thing that, Will will help them make a tournament run, and that was the big difference from last year. Landale getting me in foul trouble; they just don't have the guys off the bench. But when they're all they're all out there and um, can really control how much they're playing and not have it dictated by foul trouble, they're a very difficult team to beat. For sure, and, and like we said, they're actually third in offensive efficiency in the country in Kempom. I just looked it up, so. When they're on, they're they're as good as anybody. They can beat anybody in the country, and that was exactly what happened here against Gonzaga. Not, I obviously not anything to worry about if you're a Zags fan. Yes, it stinks that you lost at the kennel to, you know, a, a team that you guys have been dominating for a while. But I think, you know, it's just an off shooting night really from beyond the arc, and you get a p- couple of those to fall. It's a whole different game. Yeah, defensive efficiency slipped a bit, but still one of just five teams in America, top top 25 on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. So things will even out eventually. I like you saying you guys. Um, really, really feel included in the, the Gonzaga yes. family. Uh, but yeah, this this hurts from a a seeding perspective because at this point in the right. season, you know, this is really the only team that's going to be considered a, a good win in the West Coast Conference. Everything else is basically a, a bad loss or just treading water. Um, so it hurts from that perspective. I think but honestly, Mary, does it hurt, though? Like it, well, this, is, this per, is, an this seed, is that a problem? I mean, you would, you would prefer to play, you know, a, a smaller team than you know, have to potentially worry about playing Virginia in round two. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm of the school of thought of a, having a better seed is better. I agree. I agree with you completely. I just think in this situation when you've got such a talented team that clearly gets overlooked year in and year out, I don't think the, you know, it, a seven seed might be better off for Gonzaga because then they can get a shitty two seed and just run through to the Sweet 16, which we've seen them do before. Yeah, I mean, it, it all, again, it, it all depends. It's all matchups, but yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, not not terribly worried going forward, um, but it'll it'll be interesting to see how this is potentially held against them. Um not necessarily as a bad loss, but sort of the, the opportunity cost, the, the missing right. out on a what would have been another resume boosting win. But I mean, they'll probably play two more times. So 
It probably <laughs> ends their top four seed hope, barring more chaos, which we've seen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't really been paying attention to too many mock brackets just yeah, yet. I, um, but they're, I'm I mean, just going off the guess. They're hovering around being a, a top 15 team in in the country, um, not only just in the polls, but in terms of, you know, just judging overall quality. So we'll, we'll still be in the hunt, but yeah, it's it's not like they've never experienced being a, a six or seven seed before. Right, right. Concept. Um, so St. Mary's got a big win last week. Gonzaga missed out on a big opportunity. Really the big story across college basketball, a lot of big teams was, you know, losing. And yes. one of the, the biggest stories of that, Wichita State, first year um, stepping up in conference and – a lot of people saying, and I think we were both kind of in the school of thought as well, that Wichita so far was doing more for the Americans' profile than the American was for it because through their first, you know, five or so conference games, they were still winning by crazy margins, blowing out Houston, who is a perceived contender, one of two or three other teams that could possibly compete with Wichita. You come back this week um, playing SMU at home, they dropped that game, then they have the rematch against Houston, and they dropped that game as well. So, real quick, two, I mean, not not great losses for Wichita State, but it's it's kind of the, the struggle they're going through first year in the American is going to be a lot more of a grind than the Missouri Valley ever was. Definitely, and it, like we've said before, though, this is just better for the American at this point, like, it would be nice to have Wichita as a one or a two seed out of your conference, but wouldn't it be better to have four bids instead of two or three? Because that is exactly what Wichita State's doing. They're giving teams like SMU and Houston, not that necessarily, not that they were looking to lose, obviously, but this is giving SMU and Houston the quality win to put them on the bubble, which is where they were bound to be regardless. So if they can, you know, beat the teams they're supposed to. UCF just lost Taco Fall for the rest of the year, so there there goes their print or, uh, interior defense. If they can get rid of UCF and then you know maybe steal one against Cincinnati or at least play well against each other, split that series, these two teams could be both be a last four in type teams. Yeah, and and the, the American really only has the two locks in Wichita and Cincinnati, which Cincinnati is the same team for like the 10th or 11th straight year. Um, but then Houston is a team that's a little bit further ahead of, you know, the likes of SMU, but I think really, unless I'm forgetting somebody, those are really the only other two teams that have a, a legitimate chance because a lot of the conference is still pretty much in wreckage. You, you still have the East Carolinas. I mean, UConn's honestly down there at this point. USF um, stinks. Yeah, USF. Real Surprise, bad. Surprisingly bad. Um, <laughs> for a team that was expected to be bad to start the season. Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a conference that's competitive from top to bottom. So for, you know, the Houstons of the world to get a win over Wichita, like you said, that's, that's huge for, for the conference and, you know, hopefully expanding, they're hoping, uh, to being, you know, a, 
a consistent multi-bid league and not one that just gets in two teams, but they're both six seeds like they were last year. Right, and and we've seen, I, I mean, SMU has a couple questionable losses. I think they lost to Tulane and Temple already, and Temple stinks this year, which is... Yeah, Houston lost to Tulane as well. Yeah, so they, there's a couple of tough losses, but, I mean, a win over Wichita, specifically on the road, will erase that pretty quickly. Yeah, and it it always seems to, to oscillate back and forth. The committee emphasizes, you know, who have you beaten versus... Who exactly did you lose to? Um, so, right. I mean, we'll find out Selection Sunday, which is, is way heavier, but I mean, no matter how you slice it, big wins for, for both programs and damaging for Wichita State's hopes of getting, you know, a, say a top three seed, um, really at this point, because again, they're, they're going to get Cincinnati, but, They'll, they'll have a couple more opportunities than Gonzaga will for those higher quality wins, but not not too many more because the, right. the American still has a lot of bad teams. Right. Contrary to that, the Big Twelve is uh, is a better conference, and yes. there there is not really such a thing as as, as I mistakenly said there might be for Oklahoma to start off. Got absolutely worked by the fighting Bruce Webbers at Kansas State and then dropped a, uh, the, the rematch of Bedlam where Trey Young absolutely went off 48 points, but a, an alarming number of turnovers as well and, Seems the deeper we're getting into the season, Oklahoma is becoming more and more reliant on him for offense, and you know that's clearly not always working out. The final play of that game was pathetic because he was clearly double teamed the entire way. Kansas or Oklahoma State was saying anyone but him will beat us, and Oklahoma still forced the ball to him. They barely got across half court. Like, it was just a shit play for a team that has a couple decent shooters. You should be using the double team and just working your way down the court. Have him stand in the corner. Who cares if he doesn't get the last shot? You got to trust that you've got four other Division One players that can hit what should be an open jumper because five minus two is three, and then you've got one yep. guy getting guarded by two. Four is greater than three, so you should be able to have an open shot. That's some good math right there. Really we did. Spelled it out for all of you. Yeah, it, I mean, it was mind blowing that they were just so set on getting him the ball. Lon Kruger is a better coach. I'm sure he said in the timeout, because I'd like to give him this much credit, that they're going to double-team Trey. So let someone else get a shot off. Or if Trey somehow works his way open, he can take the shot. But there's there was no way he was going to get that shot off, and or at least cleanly. Yeah, I, there, you would hope there's some sort of contingency plan. But a, a, lot, of, a lot of Oklahoma's possessions, not even like late game, but just like general during the game, half court sets. It seems like a lot of times Trey Young just kind of gets in his head that, you know, I'm going to shoot this possession. I saw a lot yeah. noticed it against West Virginia where, you know, he's getting so frustrated with Javon Carter's defense. And it's like, if she gets even a little bit of, of space behind that three point line, he's going to launch it. And I mean, I, I think that happened again plenty <clears throat> on Saturday because I mean, he was, he was scoring, but not 
in an efficient manner. It was more mm-hmm. just like throwing, throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. And in terms of the Kansas State game, Bramlage is a really tough place to play. Like Manhattan, Kansas is not an easy easy spot to go to. It's a smaller arena, but it's one of those where you walk down to get into your seats, and it's just everyone's right on top of you. It's intimidating when you go there. I've been there once before, stood on the floor. It was terrifying. Yeah, I I hear that, but at the same it's time, Kansas that should State. only that should yeah. only like that should that should buy Kansas State, you know. Probably at least four or five points, but not the in a, in a, that they yeah had. in a in a forty minute game you would think that that Oklahoma being the team they are and the season they're having versus you know Kansas State has had some close calls um, no, most notably at Kansas but I mean I don't think that was that was a result that you know Oklahoma should have been expecting that could be part of the problem maybe they're overlooking. Um, K-State a little bit after the week that they had before. Um, close wins over Tech and TCU. But, I mean, that, that kind of speaks to the, the larger point. You can't really overlook anybody or else you'll end up like Oklahoma. You'll end up like Texas Tech. Lost a close one to Texas. Got blown out by Iowa State. I mean, Yikes. That's the worst team in the Big 12. So, yeah, that's... uh. It's a rough look, but it, all roads lead back to Kansas first place by themselves in the Big 12. They they tried to blow another one at home to Baylor, but they were did. unsuccessful. <laughs> so they still have first place alone. You know, hats off to Bill Self because he likes making it a contest, or at least making it look like a contest. But they're a win against West Virginia away from clinching another Big 12 title, and it's just outrageous. Yeah, I mean, and that the the win they already have was was really the the difference in the standings right now because yep that was that was when Kansas was really perceived I guess as at its most vulnerable and mm-hmm. that was the place that they absolutely should have lost or would be excusable for them to to win in Morgantown but like like ever since yeah. West Virginia blew that lead like the all the teams, going all the teams, yeah, all the teams that were playing well are dropping games to teams that they have absolutely no business losing to, and I mean now Kansas has some breathing room. I mean, it seems like we we were just talking about how there's a, a four and one log jam at the top of the standings, and now it's it's Kansas. Yep. Is it too soon to uh, yes. say farewell to TCU? Oh no. Well, from what? Conference title race? Yes. Or no, not too soon. (laughs) They're, I don't know, they're they're struggling though. Two and five in Big 12 play. They're playing, I believe they're playing West Virginia right now, yeah. And losing at home. Yeah. Their only win is Iowa State. Their two wins in the new year are Iowa State and Baylor. Other than that. They have played the top half of the conference, but they still can't win one. They're going to have to play the top half of the conference again. Um, yeah. I, I they might have to say goodbye to having a winning record in the Big 12. Like, they're, they've, they've strung together so many close losses that it's like to the point where it's past 
oh, they have so much bad luck to like, they can't win close games and maybe they're, they're not as good as we thought they were to begin with when they started the season 12 and 0 because at a certain point, you know, that, that has to even out a little bit if you're a good team capable of, I mean, Jamie Dixon is definitely a good coach. So, you know, he should have his team prepared for late game moments, obviously losing Jalen Fisher for the year hurts, but I mean, you gotta start winning games. Like, cause they're, they're in danger if they keep going down this path to, you know, being such a low seed or, you know, missing the tournament entirely. Right. They're just terrible on defense though. If you watch them, they are lost. Just completely lost out there. Yeah, and they, they oftentimes just get outworked, which, mm-hmm. again, thinking back to some of Jamie Dixon's pit teams is, is kind of surprising. But, you know, the, the game that really stood out to me in that regard is actually the Baylor one. Uh, when they were playing at Baylor, the reason Baylor was able to stay in that game at all was because there was an almost visible desire from them that there wasn't for TCU. And part of that, I guess you can attribute to where the game is being played, but if you have one team out there, it's going for every 50-50 rebounds with reckless abandon. You have another team that's just kind of playing a little more timid, then it's, it's not surprising, you know, who has the better of play, but TCU has to do something. And is everybody was patting Jamie Dixon on the back during that start, well-deserved, because, I mean, TCU hasn't been relevant in basketball and really for, forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's something like 1-51 in 51 in their last 52 or so games on the road against ranked teams. Desperately need to change that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's... They're, they're definitely out of the Big 12 title contention. They, they played their way out of that real fast. Um, but now the, the bigger issue is just kind of salvaging the season, really, at this point. Right, right. And it starts on the defensive end, as we mentioned before. Yeah, so it's your check-in with the Big 12. Um, everything coming up roses for Kansas again, except, I guess, flawless transition there. Um, Unbelievable. Billy Preston, a uh, highly touted freshman who has not played yet this season and now, as it turns out, will not be playing for Kansas at all, ever. Yep. It's, uh, it's one of those things that you see just pop up and, you know, he's going to play in Bosnia, I think. And it's like, there is obviously more to this story or... Kansas is just giving up on this whole situation because it'd been, he was suspended for the first game and then they held him out for the last 17 because of the investigation into a single car accident. And it's one of those things where they're either dragging their feet because they don't want to get to the answer or people are just taking way too long to figure it out. And this kid just wants to play basketball so he can get to the NBA. Yeah, it, it seems slightly reminiscent of the Cliff Alexander um, situation, which is somewhat of a lazy comparison because, you know, the actual issues themselves are not really the same. But, mm-hmm. you know, here's a guy who comes in as a, a five-star recruit, really poised to 
help Kansas in the front court where as good as they've been, they always seem to be lacking um, significant depth compared to all of the abundance of riches they always have on the perimeter. They've struggled. They absolutely could have used him. We wouldn't really be talking about, you know, the, the dire state of, of Kansas basketball as we have at various junctures of this season. Um, but, I mean, it, it just never worked out. It got resolved. And, I mean, now it's now it's a rivalry with the balls in, in Eastern Europe, Bosnia versus Lithuania. Professional basketball, who you got? I wish I wish so badly he would have gone to Lithuania or joined the Balls. That would be an unreal yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, just take uh, Brian Bowen too. Yeah, that I, team wins games. I would imagine if that opportunity had presented itself, I could still see him like maybe saying no because his season's already been enough of a circus already. He doesn't that need way. that. Would only add to it, especially for a guy who probably is is taking himself a little more seriously and and trying to use this as a way to, like you said, work towards the NBA. Um, we'll see, but I mean, it's it's a testament to to Bill Self and the rest of the staff and the roster that they've been able to to prosper without him and once again control their destiny. In the Big Twelve, it's unbelievable. Fell, fell, into, it's unbelievable. fell into the trap again this year of, of calling Kansas dead too early. Seriously, um, just listen back. We should have just replayed last year's episode at this time and just <laughs> the same thing. It is, it is the same Change thing. Change a couple names and it's the same thing. Yeah. Um. So I guess let's talk about more problem teams instead to make us feel better. Um, North yeah. Carolina just lost tonight to. Virginia Tech and Buzz Williams, who has hair now, fucking wild. Man in America. Yeah, the uh, found the Brian Erlacher model. Um, yes. North Carolina, obviously not expected to be as good as the team that won the national championship last year. They lost most of their front court, in addition to Justin Jackson, but there is just a complete imbalance about this team. It seems a little off every time that they've had to play a big game. There's Joel Berry in the backcourt. There's Luke May in the front court, seemingly having to do everything. And then the rest of the rosters, maybe somebody else will show up, but usually not when they need them to. It's it's wild because Luke May and Joel Berry have been pretty damn good this year. Yeah, they've been really but good. But the rest the rest of the team is just terrible. And it's what like what's going on with Theo Pinson? He has been so hot and cold and so just all over the place this season. It's very weird for a Roy Williams team because I think the one thing you can harp on them for is consistency. And it's one of those things where it's not eye-popping numbers most of the time, but you have your, your role players, your guys that you know are going to get you – you know, 9.7 rebounds, two uh, assists a game, something like that, where they all – he plugs the pieces in and then it works. But the bench hasn't played well. They don't really have any sort of, you know, semblance of a good starting five. And besides May and Joel Berry, where is the offense coming from? They, again, yeah. can't shoot threes. It's unbelievable. It's 
Yeah, it, it, just watching them play, you almost feel like it's a, a talent issue, but it's, it's definitely not. Like, North Carolina has a pretty loaded roster. You look at, you know, Seventh Woods, who you may remember as, as being like the next coming of, of Russell Westbrook, one of his highlight tapes back in the day, and he's, he's like the, the fourth guy off the bench for them. So there's, an abundance of McDonald's All-American talent, but again, like you said, there's there's Cameron Johnson, there's Joel Berry sometimes, there's Luke May, if he's having a good shooting night, but it's, it is just a, a very poor shooting team, especially when you look at how good they are overall, or how good they should be overall. Um, so that's, that's frustrating, because the offensive side of the court is where they've had their challenges, and especially if they fall behind, like they did earlier tonight against Virginia Tech, there's no real surefire way for them to work themselves back into a game. They don't have a, a Justin Jackson who can just turn into a flamethrower and make a bunch of shots quickly. There's nobody like that on the roster. Right, and I mean, Luke May is probably... Eh. Luke May and Joel Berry can kind of trade off that job, but they don't do it consistently enough to the point where it's a real thing. And this is a team that needs to just get out and transition and let their defense do the work to, to fill in for the offense. And when it's not working, you see games like this where they get held to 68 points and give up 80. Yeah. I mean, like, May and Berry might be the best one-two combination in the country because um, they're combined they're averaging like 35 a game which is mm-hmm. pretty unheard of at the college level um, but yeah the, the help's got to come from somewhere there's they should they should be a, a great defensive team and it's a pretty good defensive team a lot of a lot of rangy guys with length you know I mean if you if you just construct a whole roster of you know like Kenny Williams and Theo Pinson that's going to be a good defensive team but at some point, somebody else is going to have to step up offensively, and they're not—they're not an inefficient team. You know, they're—they're they're still like 16th in Ken Palm offensive efficiency, but there's there's just a sense of if a team takes away Barry or a team takes away May, there's not really somebody else on that roster who scares you offensively. Right, and it's so predicated on transition offense. Like they, that's the vast majority of their buckets is getting to the rim before the defense can get set. If they play a half court game or when they play half court games like they will against Virginia, that's where they struggle mightily because there's no, they don't create shots for themselves. They really just get out, run, and try and push the tempo. Right. And yeah, we, we saw it happen when they played Virginia. They, they never had a chance in that game, couldn't even break 50. And they just, just never even looked competitive. Like, this is this is a top fifteen, top ten team. It was it was impossible to see because part of that is a testament to how annoyingly good Virginia's been on defense. Um, but like the absolute worst sort of matchup for a team like North Carolina, and we'll see if they figure it out. They're I mean they're they're going to be challenged in the ACC. They did get a good win over Clemson, but I mean, Clemson has never won in Chapel Hill ever, incredibly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 
they're gonna they're gonna find themselves in, in lots of dogfights like this until they're able to to kind of figure that out. It's and it's not a it's not a unique problem. It's basically the same thing we talked about with West Virginia. And I feel like a lot of a lot of good teams that have a lot of talent, they're not always you know going to be running that intricate or effective of offenses because a lot of teams they play, they're just able to out-talent. So when you get to this point of the season where it's the, the grind of the ACC and most teams are pretty close to you talent-wise, you're going to have to do something to differentiate yourself. And I mean, we'll, we'll see what Roy Williams has up his sleeve the rest of the way, but I mean, something, something's got to be different. A whole play. lot of daggummits. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some slightly worse words. <laughs> you don't know. Um, so, <clears throat> Purdue, they're, they're a basketball team. I'm still a little yeah. bit on the, on the fence, um, about Purdue as a national contender. Um, and, and maybe, maybe I'll have different thoughts after Indiana inevitably loses by 30 later this week, but I have to say, um, with how much Michigan State has really struggled and how not really, um, against big time competition, even, even more impressively than Ohio State. I mean, we have to start considering Purdue as, as a team that could make a, a pretty deep tournament run. We do, and it's weird. It's just a weird thing to say. But they're just so balanced offensively. That's the biggest thing. And then, you know, when they get a game like they do at Iowa where they shoot the lights out, I think they were 10 of their first 11 from three, which yeah, is they, they hit 20 really impossible game. to beat. Yeah, and they're – they're a good defensive team. They're not great, but they're good. They'll It'll get the job done, especially in a weaker Big Ten this year. But they just have so many options. The Edwards are so good shooting the ball. It's you. Don't, I don't know which one's which, but they still score interchangeably, and that's the big thing. So there's depth on the bench, too. You've got you've got a couple good guys, and you got like a five-star recruit in Nogel Eastern who barely plays but can come off the bench and put up 10 or 15 points in a hurry. So – I still think Isaac Haas is a bum. I've never thought he was a good college basketball player, center, anything like that. And I don't understand how they can get away with starting him in this lineup when they can easily go with small ball and win games just like they are. Yeah, I mean, if they still had, like, A.J. Hammonds plug him in the middle there, um, obviously Swanigan would be helpful yeah. as well. But if they just want to go with an absolute monster in the middle, then – Put Hammonds on here. This might be the number one team in the country. Um, I'm, I'm all here for for Trash Haas Hour. Um, he's 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 such a stiff and like if his his frame and and basically his his physical attributes are just completely wasted. As mm-hmm. you know, he he's he's such a a stiff, not fluid player, and that. Really, really limits Purdue's ceiling as as good as they've been. Like he he is not as good a a dominant center as you could have, especially with how good the rest of the roster is. 
basically all shooters. Carson Edwards is really a volume shooter, not a really efficient player as a freshman, um, but now that's obviously changed. When he's on the court, their offensive efficiency is like 123 points per 100 possessions or something ridiculous like that, um, which is just a, a testament to how much better he's gotten. Vince Edwards, one of the best players in the Big Ten, both ways, um, not to sound too much like Dockage, but pretty much everybody except Haas can shoot, yeah. and that that just makes them so hard to guard. And then they I mean, play just, how Arizona should play. Yeah, and Arizona yeah, I, has a confident big really, man, which is the <laughs> problem. Throw DeAndre Aiden on Purdue, and they're they're the best team in America for sure, by a mile. But I mean, you could you could throw him on a lot of teams and say that because yes. he's yeah. he's just that that dominating of a player. But yeah, it's, I, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how Matt Harms develops because he he's already shown that he's he's a bit smoother of a a big man, more of a modern big man who who can shoot. And, you know, just when Purdue is getting rid of one 7-2 monster, they bring in a 7-3 freshman who can shoot. Um, so that's going to be fun going forward. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. Isaac Haas, if he could actually, you know, play basketball, would be just a, a hell of a player. He, <laughs> he looks so uncomfortable all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean his, his his literal best skill is drawing fouls, but yeah. <laughs> he may or may not deserve. But he's just that large of a human that a lot of times he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And the other thing, like trying to guard Karnowski, as I was saying earlier, like sometimes you, you just don't really have any other choice. Yeah, you really don't. So the fun to, to look forward to the. Inevitable second round loss to Rhode Island um, that Purdue will have in the tournament. Fingers crossed. Um, Rhode Island's a good team. Don't forget that. They are. They are. I'm just saying that it'll, it'll be like a, a 3 6 matchup or something. I don't, I don't think Purdue will keep this up and get a one seed, but I, I have been wrong on rare occasions before, so <laughs> never know. Um, okay, so that was, that was good. Good quota for pretty talk for the entire season. Um, We've hit our mark. That's about all I can do. Um, yeah, they're only only like 94 spots out of Indiana and Kempom right now, so we're we're closing the gap every game. Surrounding air. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any uh, anything else you want to touch on? Because I, I can't talk about this anymore. No, I think I still think Villanova is <laughs> easily the best team in the country, though. I, I yeah, no, I I agree. I think I think Duke has far and away the highest ceiling, and they're yep they're trying to realize that. Um, I mean, once they can play with the same intensity on defense that they do offensively and attacking the offensive glass, and I think they'll be there. But I definitely agree with you right now, Villanova is pretty clearly the, the best team in America. Maybe not fun. So, so, somebody other than Butler in the Big East has to step up and beat them. That's, that's really what it comes down to. It really does. <laughs> you, they can't play at Hinkle every week. No. Um, but, yeah, we've 
Ah, so so resigned to Kansas just being being back in top of the Big Twelve. But um couple couple of big games to look forward to. I guess the, the biggest you wanna talk about pretty quickly, um Virginia at Duke. I feel like could be could be a big game and it's it's really the the epitome of, of strength on strength. Best defense going up against the depending on how you look at it, best or second best offense in America. Virginia has has crushed the will to live of pretty much everyone except Press Virginia. Do they have the size and I guess overall defense to to do it to do? See, this is a tough one because I think Virginia pretty much imposes their will in terms of tempo on everyone, but I just don't see this Duke team folding to it, if that makes sense. I think just the the, the freshmen, all the rookies on the team, they're just going to continue to try and push the pace because that's where they know they can beat them, even if it does result in 15, 20 turnovers. So I think it'll be a little bit more of a higher scoring game than we're used to, and that's how Duke has the chance to win, but at the same time, this is a team that's very prone to turnovers, as we've seen this year. Them and Michigan State, surprisingly so. So, Virginia can use that in their or to their advantage, but at the same time, I think it's going to be a faster pace than Virginia would like. I think it'll be high 60s, maybe low 70s game. But I still give Virginia the, the slight edge just because when it comes down to it late in the game, they can set up in the half court and lock you down. Yeah, I, to your point about turnovers, I was just going to say, I think the fact that this is being played in late January sets up Duke for a little more success. If this is one of the first, you know, conference games, then you definitely see this as guards playing out of control a little bit, trying to push the pace too much. I feel like it's easy going against Virginia to get extremely frustrated by the pace, and you want to do whatever you can to, to get it to resemble actual basketball. Um, but at this point, they're they're a little more settled down. They've you know beaten quality teams. They've they've seen a lot of good talent. Um, not necessarily the best teams in the ACC. This is basically what this game is going to decide. Um, but. They've seen enough quality basketball that they won't be as shaken as I think they would have earlier in the conference season. So, I don't know. It's Keep keep waiting for that one team to, to break through against Virginia. 68 is the, the high water mark, which is incredible to say almost 20 games into the season. Um, but, I mean, Duke has as good a chance as, as anybody to you know, break that rarefied air of 70 points in a, in a college basketball game. <laughs> um, God. I, I just, as good as, uh, as Wilkins and, and Hall have been on the inside defensively for Virginia, it's a whole different beast trying to match up against Bagley and Carter. And I think Duke still has the advantage in there and just to basically keep beating the post and attacking the offensive glass all night. And I think they do that as they're capable of doing. Virginia doesn't have the offensive firepower to keep up. So, and playing this with Cameron Indoor, I feel like Duke definitely Big has help. that edge. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think Duke's going to break 70. 
I don't think it'll be by a lot, but I think it'll be like a, a 72 to 67 game, and I think Duke can win. Yeah. Uh, that's I'm liking Duke, too. Virginia has proved me wrong pretty much all season, so I guess I'm bracing for that as well. But I mean, waiting for, for Duke to finally realize its mammoth potential, I think this could be the game where they really make a statement. They do so, something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for this week. Um, just riding, riding the high of a, a big win over a shitty Maryland team right before we started recording. Huge. Um, so, Indiana is five and three in the Big Ten, so miss me with those. The Big Ten is not a trash fire argument because it absolutely is. <laughs> God. It is, uh, it's a fun one, and I'm pretty sure Illinois is giving Michigan State a game right now. Yeah. As, as I said right before we started recording, if Illinois loses tonight, they're absolutely getting their first big-time win of the season over Indiana on Wednesday because nice. I kind of I feel good about the Hoosiers, so it's got to, <laughs> the other shoe has to drop. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried we got to Paul on Sunday, and I'm going to be there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very afraid yeah, that, that this – this is going to spiral out of control because we are we are circling the drain right now and we are very very close. The ball's been pretty competitive in, uh, in some games, so that's they can be feisty. Kevin Willard, the anti-adjustment coach, so you know DePaul's <laughs> going to hit like fifteen threes in the first half, and we're just going to refuse to defend yeah, the three-point shot. We'll miss eventually. That's uh, that's the only adjustment you need. Yeah, I'm not excited for this game. I'm really not. <laughs> All right, so we might both be uh, extremely depressed next week, but you should uh, still tune in regardless.